Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On The Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 303. In our last podcast, we talked about the Moedim. We talked about the spring Moedim, the special days, the appointed days, and the fall Moedim. I want to just go back and remind you of the importance of these two and how they are distinct. Of course, the spring of the year, that's when all of life begins. The winter is over. The death has taken place. Now there is resurrection. This has to do with Aviv, and that's one of the names for the month because it is the word spring, not spring as in Ein or in, as many of you know in Hebrew, in Gedi, the spring of the wild goats, for instance and in Gev, where many of you have stayed. That's the word for spring, but that is a spring of water. But then spring as the season is Aviv. But it is the month of Nisan after the first day. Then the 14th day is when uh, Passover took place. And that was special because God wanted them to remember the great deliverance that he gave them and the fact that blood was the means of redemption and and freedom from slavery. And you remember the story of the Passover lamb. I'm not going to go into that because you can go back and read that from Exodus chapter 12 and then the great story in all of the book of Exodus thereon and even in the New Testament how it is referenced. That is the first of the great festivals and the great Moedim and feast. We call them feast and festivals, but they are appointed days. They're days when God said, I want you to meet with me. Then that begins at Passover the next day, unleavened bread. And that is another time of fasting, a time of remembrance that lasts for a week. And in the middle of that is the day of first fruits. Now, remember, they were an agrarian society, and that means it was all centered around agriculture. The winter wheat and the winter barley had been planted, and now it was harvest time. And the offering of the first fruit was the best of all of the sheaves that the barley harvest would produce and they would come and they would wave a single sheaf before the Lord in Jerusalem. And that was the signal of more to come. And that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So there is great significance about the first coming of Messiah in redemption. These are the great Moedim from the springtime that speak of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, coming for the first time to do his redemptive work. Now, redemption is not finished. Yes, our salvation is finished as far as it is paid for the debt has been paid. But remember, the book of Romans says, like much of the prophecies of the Old Testament, that there is a day coming when all of the earth will be redeemed. All of the universe will be redeemed. The heavens and the earth will be completely renovated. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, who was a Jewish rabbi, said that the entire universe is still groaning and waiting for the redemption, the full redemption 
of the sons of God. So is our salvation paid for? Yes. Is our uh, salvation finished as far as the debt has been paid? Yes. But redemption is not complete and will not be until the new heaven and the new earth and our bodies are redeemed and everything is consummated. And so these are the beginnings and it's the beginning of the year. And so that's in the spring of the year. And then the next great event on God's timetable was Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. We call it Pentecost. That's when the Torah was given 50 days after that leaving from Israel and the exodus from Israel. The Torah was given on Mount Sinai 50 days later. And that is the day that the Holy Spirit came in a brand new way to indwell the life of every believer that had trusted Jesus the Messiah as their Savior and Lord. And so these are the first of the Moedim. But in the fall of the year, all of these Moedim, these special days, deal with the second coming, the blowing of the trumpets, Yom Teruah. That was a day of remembrance. It was a memorial day. Then that instituted with the Jewish people 10 days of awe until the Day of Atonement. And during that time, there was great repentance and reflection for this sacred day of the year called the Day of Atonement, the day of covering Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those have to do with the time when Messiah will return to earth and he will rule and reign over the earth until the enemy is completely vanquished. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and that's for another day. But I want you to understand that when I left you yesterday, I was talking about repentance, Yom Teruah, the blowing of the trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, was to remember and remind us of, because the book of Leviticus said this is the beginning of this new season. It's the seventh month. It's the first day of the seventh month, and it begins the last half of the year. So it is in biblical prophecy. The first half is uh, almost finished. The Messiah will be coming again for his people. And so all of that is symbolized, and we'll get into that more in the days ahead. But what I want to do is center in on these days of repentance, because if there's ever a time when the church of Jesus needs to repent, those who are saved, it's now. If there's ever been a time when a nation needs to repent, it is now, our nation, the United States of America. God help us. We are in a mess, and only the Lord can get us out of it. But I want to talk to you about repentance, because it's not talking about much. And lots of times we talk about repentance, but we don't explain it to people. These days of all these days of repentance, remember for an entire month, the sixth month of the year, Elul, is a month of repentance for the Jewish people, especially the Orthodox. Then after 30 days, which the month is, it's one of those 30-day months, then you have the day of the blowing of the trumpets. Now, the Jews believe that the 25th day of Elul was the day when God began creation. And six days later, which would have been Yom Teruah, the blowing of the trumpet is the sixth day when Adam was created. And they believe he was created in Jerusalem, what is now Jerusalem, on the foundation stone, which is the place where Abraham would have offered Isaac, where the Holy of Holies would have been sitting. That is the whole idea behind the blowing of the trumpets and the great significance of that day of Adam being created, because that is when... 
everything is beginning to be counted on a biblical scale. And so that was really the day when all of creation starts to be counted. So it is the blowing of the trumpet. Man has been created in the image of God. He has been given life like no other of his creation, a special creation of God. And then he rested on Shabbat and named that day special. Now, let me just say one word before we deal with this idea of repentance. Shabbat is a special day. It was then and it is now. God not only set it as the first of the Levitical Moed and appointed days in Leviticus chapter 23, but it is part of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. It's the fourth of those commandments that deal with keeping this day sacred. And so God is really wanting us to emphasize Him as Creator. This is very important because it is the slippery slope that we first stepped on that got us into the mess that we're in today. Because if you don't have a biblical lens to look through, if you don't have a biblical worldview where God is the creator and the sustainer of all of life, all of life, and we are accountable to him, then it is the foundation upon which all Christian doctrine is built. And when we get to heaven, it will be the first thing, according to Revelation chapter 4, and five that we will thank God for before we thank him for his redemption as the Lamb of God that has taken away the sin of the world. We're going to praise them that he is the creator and the sustainer of all of life. That's how John presents him in his gospel as the creator of everything and then as God coming in the flesh to redeem us from our sins. And so this is very important. But again, we'll get into that in the podcast ahead. But I want to talk about this concept of repentance, because as I said last night, I believe there are four aspects to that. First of all is the Hebrew word shuv, which is the turning away. It really is the basic concept of turn or turn back. It's translated probably 30, 35, maybe even 40 different ways. I'd have to go back and look. I'm saying that off the top of my head, but it's close to 40 different ways. Most of the time it is to turn or return. Then one of the most prominent ways that it is translated is the word restore, to bring back. That's the aspect, I believe, not only of those who come to know God in a personal way through the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, but also for those of us who are saved and we turn away from the Lord and we look away from God and fellowship is broken, not our relationship, but our fellowship, this has the aspect of restoring. This is what happened to King David. We'll get to that in just a moment, but you've got to have this aspect of turning away from something, the idea of forsaking something. Repentance is that you not only forsake the particular sins in your life, but the sin of unbelief, the sin of idolatry, of humanism, of trusting your own way to God and working your own way to God and working out deals with God. That has to end. You have to forsake any idea that you merit salvation. There has to be a turning away 
away from any self-effort and turning to God, not trusting anyone else, but trusting God. All of that. See, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have biblical saving faith without true repentance, and that means forsaking, turning away from whatever it is and whoever it is and your own self and turning completely to God because He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if you turn from darkness, the only light you can turn to is God Himself. And so it has the idea of forsaking and turning, and that's the idea of the Hebrew word shuv. But in the Greek New Testament and in the Septuagint, the, in the Old Testament translations, one of the prominent words that translates this concept of turning is metanoieo and its derivatives. And that's the idea of changing your mind. It's a meta, which is a Greek preposition that in this construct has the idea of change. Then nous is the base word for mind. Metanoieo is a particular construction that means that one changes their mind. And there will never be any change uh, that's permanent in our lives until we first of all change our thoughts, which leads to a change of attitude, which leads to a change of conduct. Anything else is behavior modification. You see, only God can truly change the heart. And that is the concept of regeneration. Again, that's for another podcast and another whole set of teachings. But I want you to understand that only God can change the heart. And God has to grant us repentance. You see, we are so wicked that we'll go our own way. That's why Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And you say, but wait a minute. What about those? There are none righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, in Romans 3.10, when the Apostle Paul deals with that, he uses three negatives. He I mean, he pounds it. There is none righteous. None is the first negative. And it's almost as though he's anticipating someone saying, what about, uh, or but, and he says, no, that's the second negative. Not, that's the third negative. None are righteous. No, not one. And the fact is, none of us deserve redemption. But the way that we claim the grace of God and grab hold of the grace of God and enable the grace of God to work in our life is through repentance, and that is forsaking any thought that we are deserving of anything or entitled to anything, but we come wretched, blind, humble, uh, without reserve. You're not saved with reservations. You have to come to God. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be an upgrade. He doesn't want to be an appendix or an addendum. He wants to be your life. Jesus does not want to be a part of your life. He's not an add-on. He's not a convenience. He's not a trend. He is God Almighty. Almighty, and he wants to dominate your life. He wants to be your master, and you must be the slave. You say, well, I don't like that language. Well, you don't get a vote on it, because that's the language of the Bible. It computed with those in the ancient world, and it computes to us. God wants to dominate our lives. He wants to have complete say in our lives, and he wants us to freely love him. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the graciousness of God that leads us to repentance. It's Sometimes uh, God uses painful circumstances, but God is so good to us even in that. He causes us to want to forsake our old way of life. Secondly is the concept of regret. 
and I'll end with this, it's very important, because regret has to do with brokenness. Not just uh, upset because you got caught, but you ought to be upset because you've gotten caught. And sometimes when people are caught red-handed in something with blood on their hands and they've hurt people and damaged people, sometimes that brings them to a point of regret and brokenness that leads a person to repentance. I'm not just talking about emotion. I'm talking about the sense of loss that's in one's life when they see what happens. It's like a wake-up call. And that's what really happens is a person hears something over and over again. They've seen road sign after road sign saying bridge out, deadly curve, and they just keep on going. They don't slow down. All of a sudden, there is a wreck. And they say, oh my God, what have I done? Look how many I've hurt and so forth. And I never want to do that again. And many times God will use that regret and that brokenness to bring a person to the point of a mind change, which results in a life change. Now, don't get hung up on, well, it's the head knowledge or it's the heart knowledge. Many of these terms are used interchangeably in the Bible. What we're talking about is there has to be a mind. Your thoughts have to change. And sometimes your thoughts are are used interchangeably with the heart. We in the West have so divided up a person to where, you know, okay, that's that came from the head, not from the heart. I'm telling you guys, we're overthinking this way, way too much. What we need to understand is that when the Bible many times talks about a person, it talks about them as a whole, as a soul, the soul that sins, it shall die. Well, a trichotomist can't come along and say, well, that was not the spirit sinning. That was not the flesh sinning, the body sinning. That was just soul. No, that's the Hebrew mindset. A soul was an entire person, the totality of a person. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, as a Hebrew, as a rabbi, that you are to present yourselves a living sacrifice. He's not just talking about your body or your soul or your spirit. He's talking about the totality of your whole being as a whole burnt offering. And what I'm saying to you is we need to get off of trying to split hairs here and realize that I'm talking about life change. God is talking about life change. He wants to radically change our lives, and that comes about through repentance initially for salvation. But it must happen in our lives when we have sinned against God, God gets our attention through some means, and we're broken about it, and we turn back to Him, and He will restore us. That's what the passage I read about in the book of Hosea. He said, return to me. I'll pardon you. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. I'll restore you from your backsliding. I'm telling you, God is so gracious and merciful that when we turn to Him, When we understand that we have harmed and hurt and we turn to him, we've hurt him, we've bruised him, he's borne the cost for us, he's paid for our sins, then it brings us to contrition to a broken heart. People say, well, you know, I I know God wants to break my will. No, God wants to break you, period. The idea of a broken and a contrite spirit is what God's looking for, not just our stubborn will. He wants us broken inside and out so that he can heal us and he can restore us and he will. So this is part of what Yom Teruah is about. It's about waking us up and getting us back into the land of the living back into the place of blessing. Let God restore us. Let God heal us. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to restore what the enemy has stolen from us, from you. God wants to restore you. Let's repent right now and ask God to restore us as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. 
Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.